Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our Lockdown Project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Tea and Biscuits. Now, clearly I'm not Emma Rice, I'm Simon Baker in fact, but Emma Rice is with me. Hi Em. <laughs> Hi there, Si. So, should we just quickly describe the setup for people listening? There's no one really listening anyway. That'll make me feel better if I think there's nobody It's just you and me, Si. It's the same as it has been for months and months and, and months. months. <laughs> and months. We've been stuck in this house together. <laughs> Churning out as many different ideas to keep wise children going as we can. Yeah. And we're currently up in your studio. Yeah. And um, where Simon spends all his time and I just visit every now and again to sort oh, of winkle him out. It makes me feel like some sort of weird gamer that just spends all their time in their office. Yeah. Yeah, that's true though, isn't it? Although there's no... You <laughs> <laughs> just clear that up. There's no gaming going on. There is no gaming. There's an awful lot of... It's all the digital stuff and the sound stuff and the broadcast stuff. Uh, you've been amazing. You've been amazing over lockdown. It's not about me though, this episode, is it? Oh God, okay. It's all about you. We've done... How many of these have we done? We've done about 30. Yeah. I think 30, 34. And we've talked about your time at Knee High, which mm-hmm. has been very enjoyable. Your, your more controversial time at The Globe. Yeah. And, of course, more recently, Wise Children. Mm -hmm. But I thought it would be much more interesting to talk to you about Emma Rice, the early years. So the period between, I'm going to say, when you started your Uh O-levels, and for those people that are young enough to remember, or old enough to remember, O-levels were now called GCSEs. Yeah. Because, I I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. I did GCSEs, you did O-levels. Oh... (laughs) <laughs> He's referring just, to the age difference. Just, it's the tiny age difference, but it's... <laughs> makes a difference. Makes all the difference in the world. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting. I thought there's, we have an awful lot of students that follow Wise Children and are admirers, admirers of you. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about how you started and what you were like at school up until really when you started work. So I, I sort of place you doing O-levels and I'm... Could, this could be a long night if I've got this wrong, but I think you started to draw levels in about 1981. And I, I did a little bit of research, because you do masses of research for Tea and Biscuits, don't you? I mean, you're like endlessly slaving over Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> He's teasing me, because I don't do any research really for anything. It's because you're so natural at it. I have to do loads of work to do this. But, so 1981. Yeah. Just it's a to, very long time ago, Simon. It's a very long time ago. But, so to put you back there, um, Margaret Thatcher's the PM. Yeah. Uh, Reagan's president of the US. I remember that well. Um, there's a lot going on. There's an awful lot of... Because it's it's just the turn from... Um, we just come out of a Labour government in 79, which were discontent, all those things. And, we, and we're into the, the beginning of Thatcherism. But, of course, it strikes, riots, unemployment's really high, everything's mm-hmm. being privatised. Um, the Falklands War was starting around about then. It's that period of time. So I thought I'm going to try and find a record that sums up that period. So I'm going to start with uh, specials and Ghost Town. This
Well, that's done the job. It's taken me right back there. Oh, we're all back there now. There's always a record. Every sort of period of history has a record that perfectly sums it up. And I always think that for that period of time, specials, a.k.a. Ghost Towns, it's perfect for it, isn't it? It's so um, sparse, isn't it? The the mix is so sparse and so cool. I mean, we were... I remember the um, the graphics that went with it as well, the video. It's... Um, yeah, what a brilliant sound. And when you look back, fantastically diverse band. Absolutely, multicultural and the musical influences yeah. are as well. Brilliant. It's really, really special. And the when I was looking back, I was researching the early 80s. Of course, I've never really left the 80s. I've never really left the 70s. Um, so much happened in that period. Um, things like it was the first London Marathon. Cats opened, which is strangely important for me it was Charles and Di's wedding there was the, all the C&D stuff was happening it was a sort of huge time but I think that Britain was a real brutal time but where were you where where's the young Emma Rice about to start her O-levels 
where were you living? I grew up in inner city Nottingham. So I was right in the heart of the country. Um, and we had a lovely house, um, but very close to the main road and quite close to school. So I was walking to school by the forest ground, which was the sort of the inner city park. Um, and I went to an all-girls school, an all-girls comprehensive, <laughs> um, called Manning Comprehensive. And I, I went there because it was the local school and my parents were good socialists and believed in going to your local school. And it was um, it was an amazing school, actually, but it was pretty rough. I was scared for five years is the reality of it. It was... Um, it was very mixed. There was, there was an all-girls comprehensive because of the multicultural um, nature of Nottingham at that time, which was amazing. And I think we were 64% immigrant in my days in um, Nottingham. Now, that was a lot of um, Asian families, but also Eastern European families and West Indi- big West Indian community. Yeah. So it was a really mixed world that we grew up in. And the, my school was in the middle of um, an area called Hyson Green, which at the time, was a red light area and there was a a lot of prostitution around and also girls went into prostitution so there was so much sex sex education that's what I remember (laughs) I just used to really well drilled really well drilled I used to sort of you know go into school I did find it pretty terrifying it was quite rough there were you know they talk about the ghost town talks about fighting on the dance floor there was a lot of fights at school um but I imagine all girls' schools. I mean, obviously, clearly, my references are St. Trinian's. Um, that's about it. So, but so it was. I mean, I've never. I went to a mixed school, so. Um, no, I, it was I, not at all um, St. Trinian's or indeed Mallory Towers. It's so far away from my experience. Um, yeah, so it was, it was rough, but very multicultural. We had a very um, forward-thinking headmistress. We had. Um, who, as I say, we did lots of sex education. We did peace studies. We were a, te- a test school where we studied peace and the, the test failed and nobody else did it. So I think I'm one of the only people <laughs> on the planet to have studied peace. Um, uh, it was, what else can I tell you? So we were opposite this, uh, the forest recreation ground and every year there would be the Goose Fair, which I think was the last weekend of October and the fair would come and we would always be sent home. We, they would close the school because the fair boys were so exciting in the fair. There's, there, nobody went to school anyway at that time. So they just gave up trying and just gave us the time off. And I seem to remember quite a few girls left about nine months later to mysteriously <laughs> go and do something. <laughs> and strangely, because of we're, you know when we're recording this, um, I, I've been taken back there recently because of... Um, the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, who I want to call him. Oh, God, yeah. Um, because that was all going on at the time. And we were certainly, it wasn't actually him, but the guy, the, the um, fake, the false mm. Ripper who was giving out false information did say that he might strike at Goose Fair. And we were terrified and we were told by the school to not walk home alone. And, and we would scream if we saw any men or anybody, you know. So I, it was it was a dark time in lots of ways. Wow. Did you, have, did you have a close friend group there? Were you sort of... Was it a... It, 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 when, whenever you talk about it, it never sounds like a particularly fun time for you. No. Um, I, I did have a very close friend, but in the way that girls can, she, on a daily basis, decided whether I was in or out. 
and I found it I mean she sort of terrorised me really I was in love with her I was absolutely mm. in love with her um, but but really the first three years of my secondary school were, were dominated by that relationship and then something happens which is a brilliant thing with age isn't it is I think I just thought you know what I haven't got the energy and I sort of shook her off but I didn't really make other friends and so by the time I was in what we called the fourth year at that time so starting O-levels when mm. you're talking about I sort of trod my own path and began to do my own thing I met I had got a boyfriend by the time I was 15 who went to obviously went to a different school and my world started opening up but no I didn't make any friends at school in that way I don't mean I was lonely or isolated but I it, I had to get to sixth form before I discovered the joy of friendship and when you so doing your O levels were you doing were you, what were you doing were you doing art were you doing drama were you doing English was it anything related to what you're doing now. I'm laughing because I know what you want me to talk about because it's <laughs> <laughs> um, so nobody will be old enough to know all of this so in this period we did O levels which was the equivalent of GCSEs and if you weren't super bright you did CSEs Certificate of Secondary Education so there was two le levels depending on how bright you were and I did do mostly O levels um, and um I did not do drama, which I think is the only interesting thing to say. Yeah. Um, we had a dodgy drama teacher who I'd been a little bit in love with as well, but he was not in love with me, but I think was probably in love with some other girls. But I kind of knew that I was just too embarrassed. I mean, doing drama when you're 14 and 15 just felt agonising to me. So even though I knew I wanted to work in theatre and knew I was going to study drama... I, I, I had some street smart about me and I thought, well, not here, not in this school, not where, uh, because it wasn't a safe environment for yeah. any reason. You know, I didn't feel supported. So I didn't do any drama at school. But what I did do was CSC, ceramics and sculpture, <laughs> which you, which I talk about quite a lot. I'm very, and I got a grade one, which is actually the equivalent of a CSC, you'll find. It, well, it's, it is. It's, it's a C at O level, I believe. <laughs> so you've got a... Or higher, because nobody higher, knows. No, yeah, nobody's actually judged it yeah. as an level piece but you've always maintained it was a an A at O level probably and, and I made as part of my CSE um, exam I made a 3D Ophelia um, from Hamlet drowning in the water which my mum and dad thought was so brilliant they kept all their lives and then when I got the job at the Globe Shakespeare's Globe they were so excited and they said Emma we've got your Ophelia and they gave it back to me and they said you know this this shows how how much you loved Shakespeare <laughs> and, and I think they wanted me to put it on display or something so we've now got it back we've re-inherited yeah. um, my 15 year old self ceramic and sculpture it's in pride of place isn't it <laughs> I keep hiding it I don't know what to do with it what do you do with something like that you well, wanted to break into the globe and leave it in the exhibition me, when I me left me and Jay did <laughs> come up with a plan Jay Jones my assistant at the time we, we did come up with a plan to see if we could smuggle it into the globe as part of an exhibition and we just wondered how long it would stay there I would have stayed there for years it's very good it's we'll, we'll put a picture up online we'll, we'll celebrate you but what the thing that I, I sort of baffled by not is that you didn't do drama at GCS, didn't do drama at O-level rather, but you were interested in the theatre. So that must have come from somewhere because that presumably wasn't school trips and 
No, that was home. That was my amazing parents and their amazing community. So we lived, um, as I say, city centre, but there was a, it was the 70s and they, there was, there, there were people trying to lead good, simple lives. You know, it wasn't unlike it is now, is that there was a emphasis on whole foods and quite natural, it was quite a natural vibe. And my mum would meet up with these neighbours and they'd make patchwork skirts or they'd, they'd have various different, they'd all drink sherry and everybody smoked like chimneys. You know, I remember that, but everybody would come round to each other's houses and the kids would all go round each other's houses. And, um, the, the one I was very close to were two doors down and it was Marilane and Tony and Marilane was a very glamorous in my view Canadian woman who'd come to England and had been an actor and was a teacher and she loved theatre and what my parents and these people did is they often would trade so my mum would teach some English and have all the kids round and presumably everybody went out for the night and then we'd go to Marilane's and she'd teach drama and I loved it. I also went to ballet classes and I loved that and my mum and dad were great cultural lovers you know they were the first both my mum and dad were the first um, kids in their families to go to university and they really cherished it you know I look back and I think it was amazing they took us to art galleries and classical concerts we'd sit right at the back of the concert hall I remember sitting at the back of the old theatre royal watching Margot Fontaine you know not expensive seats they weren't rich people my mum was a social worker my dad was a teacher um but really we we had so much culture given to us and for me Marilane and the theatre were was the the stardust I used to live for our trips to Nottingham Playhouse which out of interest was being run by Richard Eyre at that time so it was a very exciting place he was very young loads of exciting actors Imelda Staunton Jonathan Price Sylvester McCoy you know there was a great excitement and I um I'd hear my parents talking to their friends about it about what what was gonna what was on and how exciting it it would be so it was very much the place to go and I picked up on that that's a sort of brilliant duality there's there's your comprehensive score where you didn't that that MRIs doesn't yet exist yet at home all those influences are coming forward it's your mum and dad or Marilyn or that house that you all lived in in reality it's not a brilliant duality I I found that period of life very very difficult and the only thing I'm grateful for is that there was no social media to make it worse but there was I was not I was a different person at school in order to survive yeah. that brutal environment. And then thankfully I'd be able to walk home, go in through the front door, shut the door, be with my sister, be with our cats. <laughs> my dad would be the one looking out after us at that time of day and and relax, you know. And then nobody could get to me or or you know, unless you really wanted to, you know, pick up a, a landline. You 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 relaxed until you had to do it again the next day so it wasn't a brilliant duality and I I remembered being very we call it worlds colliding don't Mm. we I can remember being very anxious that if my some of my school friends saw me in my lovely loving cultural house that that I would be bullied so I was quite anxious about that wow and in fact I remember once (laughs) saying that um 
getting my coat ripped or something and saying, oh my God, my mum's going to kill me. I'm really frightened. My mum's going to be so angry. And then my mum's, uh, as a surprise, picking me up from school that day. <laughs> and, and me like, mum, don't get it quick. Come on, she was going, don't worry, dear. And all my friends looking at me, oh my God, Emma's mum's going to kill her. And I'm like, quick, get me out of here, you know. <laughs> Uh, so you know it wasn't brilliant and you know and I think I've sought to join my life up ever since then but the the urge to pretend never goes when you've had a profound experience like that I think it's interesting I think it's interesting that you weren't doing drama at school I think that's sort of useful for a lot of people because so much well we know from 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 our kids in that so much weight is placed on what kids study at GCSE is going to inform what you do later on and of course for you it, it, it wasn't I think it's really that's what I find really sort of fascinating about it come on let's play a record yeah um, it's got to be my turn hasn't it it's got to be your turn what were you listening to back then well I have chosen the record that I think just defines the early 80s it was actually the very end of the 70s yeah. but I've chosen Tainted Love Mark Almond and soft sell I should say um, it, oh, I, this is what we dance to um, and what's really interesting Sai is since I've got to know you and I've understood more about soul and northern soul is of course that we'd all like drum the air to one side and the dance floor would all come together so you'd be doing your thing and then everybody would do the same move and of course that's what northern soul does as well yeah. this is a much sort of simpler version of it but there was a, a this record sums up school discos and my hope that I would get out of this sometime.
Mark Armand's soft sell uh, Tainted Love, which of course was a Northern Soul record. It was before a sort of unknown Northern Soul record. Of course. Before. And by this point, I ought to paint a picture. Just as I was beginning to leave school, I was getting very interested in my appearance. I've always had dead straight hair, which of course has been marvellous in later life, but all we wanted was curly hair in the 80s. <laughs> so I permed it very Brilliant. badly and then I would blow dry it into a flock of seagulls sort of teardrop and then cover it in Bristow's hairspray it was rock hard oh my um, god so that's yeah and a lot a lot a lot of makeup and where, where I'm always fascinated by this where did that influence come from what were you were you reading magazines was it telly or was it what was it I don't think I was reading magazines, so it must have been telly. It must have been Top of the Pops. I mean, it was watching Human League and Flock of Seagulls and all those new romantics. Well, we are. Well, we're hitting so sort of nineteen eighty-three to eighty-five. So you've done. So you've got your CSE and ceramics. Yeah. The the path set clearly Shakespeare's the one for you. We hit 1983. 1983, I, I did a little bit of looking up of what happened in 1983 to try and jog your memory. But Breakfast TV started. Wow. So we're watching Frank Boff and Selena Scott. <laughs> I wanted to conjure that up. Seatbelts are now law. That's sort of fascinating, isn't it? The fact that it was it was okay to drive a car without a seatbelt and then suddenly in 83 it became law. And in fact, there was quite a lot of debate amongst my, my parents' oh, friend set about whether it was a sort of infringement on their liberties. There was some kickback, I can tell you. I remember being in cars where sort of my, like my mum or my aunt would hold their seatbelt over them in case the police saw them, <laughs> sort of, but couldn't quite be bothered to, to click it in. And I think we had cars that didn't have them in the back as well. I seem to remember that. But it is, I mean, the 80s are in full swing. It's Duran Duran and Spanabay in the charts. CDs, amazingly CDs go on sale. Um, and, and and things like comedies changing. Blackadder has started. Young Ones has started. Ben Elton. Ben Elton. All that. And suddenly comedy had moved away from the Oxbridge set and it was it was becoming a much more universal thing. Um, the big thing, of course, you being in Nottingham, Torval and Dean, Winter Olympics. Unbelievable, and not just Torval and Dean, Nottingham Forest and Brian Clough. It was a big sporting city, and yeah. it was really exciting. And my and you could not have grown up in Nottingham at that time and not gone into Slab Square to watch either a bus full of footballers in the distance or Torval and Dean in the distance. And I, we all skated. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm very, very badly, but we all went to the ice rink. I mean, it was a, it's, it was part of Nottingham. Is that the culture. ice rink that you see when you watch the Tall and Dean documentaries now that they sort of walk past wistfully? Is that? You watch it that can't still, it can't still be standing. Be it was down near Stenton. It can't still be standing. It was so, it was so old and right. manky. Yeah. But it, but yeah, it was a, it was definitely part of life. Amazing. And we were so proud and so excited. But as I say, on the back of Nottingham Forest at that time, yeah. we, we were kind of used to, you know, we were rocking it sport, sports-wise. So there you are with your big hair. I've got massive hair. The day that I didn't have to wear school uniform, I was still taking my O-levels. Right. And the day that I didn't have to wear school uniform... And remember, I was kind of the cat that walked alone still at this point. Yeah. I turned up at school in fishnet tights, high heels... Um, huge amount of makeup 
gothic black clothes and my sister helped me pay to get my hair dyed blue. I did oh it all in one God. go, literally That's it. transformed myself. The new Emma Rice has arrived. Yeah. And well, I love my sister for that as well, because my mum yeah. and dad said, look, you know, we love and support you, dear, but we're not going to pay for you to dye your hair blue. And my sister, I never know whether it was an act of sabotage or love, but I don't care, said, oh, I could chip in and help you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I sort of spat. I'm, and that was, as I say, I, I wasn't happy at school, but I did have a sense of self that I knew I would be happy and would be myself. And I think that sort of really aggressive act of transformation yeah. um, was me saying, this is where it starts. This is, this is the beginning. So I walked into my A-level I'm smiling because it was such a happy time. Mm. Um, Clarendon College. It was an but FE college. How, but how did that happen? So, so you were at school. Mm-hmm. Was, there a, was there a sixth form college nope. at school? No, I mean, it's form. important to remind people that when, when we were at school, it wasn't it wasn't the norm to go to sixth form. No. It was like, I think when I was at school, I think 30 of us went on to sixth form and everyone, and I was in a, there's probably, I don't know, 600 people in that year. That can't, that can't be true. 300 people in that year. But only a small percentage went on to sixth form. So yeah. there was no sixth form at your school. So you hunted around. How did that happen? Did your mum and dad say, do you know what you want? You want to get yourself to... I went to the college, which was even closer to my house than the school was. But the woman that I talked about, Marilyn, taught there. Oh, wow. Okay. I never thought... I, I never thought of going anywhere different. I mean, I was never academic. I could not work. I just had no work ethic. My mum used to sit up with me and say, come on, Emma, right? And I'd say, oh, my hand has gone weak. Or, <laughs> I can't bear it. I mean, I, by this point, I was dressing up all the time. I was doing making up dances I was I had a boyfriend by the time I was 15 quite a serious boyfriend so I was going out a lot Um, but no I was not academic Um, and I knew I wanted to go to this further education college which had a drama course and as part of the drama course we did two A-levels which were English literature and stage decor and design which is theatre design Um, and then lots of vocational um, tasks around it And it was amazing. I mean, I I still look back on it and think it was the absolute highlight of my education. It was this knackered old drama hut, which has long since been demolished. And it had a sort of dreadful sort of derelict theatre in it, but it was a little theatre and a workshop. Mm. And every week, and none of this went towards RA levels, every week we would make a short piece of theatre. And we would take it in turns to one week you'd write it, one week you'd be in it, one week you'd light it, one week you'd do the sound. And the sound was Revox. You know, we were we were splicing yeah, yeah. tape and sticking it together. And we just lived for it. We were so excited. We were so inspired. There was... I, I have no recollection of any competition. Right. That we, we knew we were... Um, we, we were trying everything and supporting each other and we just lived for it. We went out all the time, even though we weren't legally allowed to go out. But of course, the rules, there were rules at that time, but nobody took any notice of them. You know, and you were girls, so you were always going to get served. Exactly. I think once when I was 15, somebody said, are you 18? And I said, yes. But apart from that, I don't think anybody ever checked my age, ever. Aww. And And I think I'd also asked, the first time, the only time I was asked was when I ordered a half of beer. Right, half of beer. (laughs) Which I think was a telltale time. Did you then give your birthday a sort of 1953 that made you something, you know, 48 when you were 15? (laughs) 
but it was amazing that time and the the group of people Clarendon College there was no entry requirements and people came from all over Nottinghamshire and it was an extraordinary group of people that have gone on to be very influential in the business and have continued to be my dear friends and support network so really extraordinary that with yeah no selection just local people that, that something magic happened in yeah. that year something really really magic I want to find out about the people you you were there with but I think we should play a record yes um, and we're going to go back to that year and I've picked this because it's a it's a particular favourite of mine it is literally I, I'm going to say it's from 1983 uh, and it's Rufus and Shaka Khan everybody thinks that Rufus and Shaka Khan are a couple and of course they're not Rufus was a funk band they were a sport band Shaka Khan was the singer I don't know why that's important it's something very important now. Um, and Ain't Nobody Thank you. 
really good. Rufus and Shaka Khan ain't nobody. It's one of my favourites. And it's kind of one of our songs as well. So it's really one. It's still my ringtone as well. Is it? Which is really romantic when it rings and you're here. It's less romantic when it rings in an auditorium when my phone's supposed to be on silent. It's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so you're at Clarendon. Yep. Doing your A-levels. And I sense, and, I, and of course I know, but you had a core group of friends. Yeah. So there was certainly three of us who remain very, very close to this day. Um, Dot Atkinson, the award-winning, amazing actor and comedian, Dot Atkinson, um, and Janet Bell, who now lives in Brooklyn, New York, and runs world music festivals and is a country and western singer, unbelievably. Both of them from North Nottingham, Janet from Retford, Dot from Mansfield. But as well as that, we had Jonathan Church, who is a producer and and was the artistic director of Chichester for many years. Um, Sam Starbuck, who I believe is a BBC producer. Thomas Wright, who's the production manager at Birmingham Rep. It was really, really amazing. Sam Beckinsale, the actor. A really amazing group. Kristen Tarry, the agents. The, The list goes on and they they say it happens doesn't it that there are magic groups um and it was definitely one and what's interesting is that i carried on to go to guildhall where we weren't in a magic group we should have been but Mm. we weren't there was so much selection we felt so much competition we should have been the chosen ones but in fact it was this derelict drama studio in inner city nottingham as you say in a pretty bleak period in history yeah that where something really magic happened but i think the magic always happens when no one's looking i think that's mm, that's the key no one was looking at you absolutely nobody was looking which gives you the freedom to be which is key to your work is that thing of no one's watching Mm. is that so therefore there's no inhibitions nobody there's no right or wrong it's just what is and which is kind of how you work today really still what was um so you're at college during the day yeah and that all sounds well it sounds brilliant yeah but what's happening at 3 30 when you get home are you still i was out going with out i was going out all the time well i was hanging out with friends all the time particularly because as i say my close friends lived in north nottingham which meant they had a big commute which yeah. meant they were always staying at mine because I lived very close to the college and I never asked my mum and dad but they were we were just constantly had people eating their food hanging out (laughs) (laughs) living in my bedroom we we did go clubbing we were very much into our look um Dot and Janet were flat tops at the time which was a version of they weren't skinheads they were flat tops had really sharp and I've always wanted Dot to cut her hair like that again. Yeah. I was much more gothic. I had... The BAFTA award winning <laughs> Dot Atkinson. She's unlikely to do that, I think, now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know, it, well, it is. It's the love affairs, isn't it? You know, that's when I fell in love with her, you know, and uh, I'll always see her like that. I had backcombed... I think by that point, I had red hair, sometimes blue hair, sometimes black hair, sometimes, um, and a lot, a lot, a lot of makeup. I did all that white, um, gothic... Um, base and big painted on eyes sometimes even with clockwork orange um, yeah. lashes going down would spend hours and hours and hours getting ready and an awful lot of hairspray and where were you going because there's some legendary venues in Nottingham yeah so um, we went to the garage club 
right. a lot. And the Asylum, which of course I went yeah. on to name my own venue, um, inspired by that as well. And also Rock City, which was the big amazing music venue yeah. do you know what I'm sure it's not big I remember it's being big I bet if I went there now it wasn't I, I've never been there I, I I did have a quick look to see and I and it's still going it's still a big influential influential force but I feel it's like the Thecla in Bristol that you imagine it's going to be massive when you walk in and and it's not <laughs> well I certainly went not. to my first gig there and my first gig was Bauhaus um now by this point as I say, I had a pretty serious boyfriend, although he was much more into rock. He was much more into Led Zeppelin. But I had had an earlier boyfriend who was a punk. So I, the thing is, is that uh, it's so interesting to reflect on because I did the full goth punk look. Mm. And in fact, I had my photo taken once in, in Slab Square waiting for somebody and it went into a book which was yeah. documenting 1980s punk rockers. And I can remember thinking, I'm I'm a fake, because I was. I wasn't really. I wasn't taking drugs or running away from home or abused or, you know, you know, lashing out against society. I, I was I was definitely putting on the, the guise of it. Mm. But I was also very gothic. And of course I, I thought about that a little bit more. And like a lot of young people, I was very sad. Mm. And um I do think I'm very frightened for 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 all sorts of of reasons, and we were we were all frightened at that time because of the nuclear threat. Yeah. We were all very frightened of that. Um, and I'd had an, a bereavement in my early years, which had made me um, very sad and very fearful of death and very close to death. And of course, that's what I think being a goth is about. So on some level, I was a pretender. I didn't really love the music, even though I went to the gigs and put mm. the records on. Um, and I had nothing really to rebel against, but I think it is an expression of your sadness. And I think I was, I think that did have into integrity. I think I did have something to express at that point. And the way I dressed and the way I did my hair showed that. I think that's I think there's something really valid in that, isn't there? It's that that hiding away somehow, but also it's a sort of it's uh, an illustration of that you are sad to tell the world that you are that, that that you are sad. Maybe that's why teens are drawn to that goth. Well, I'm that you know I've been thinking about it, and and I think that there is something about it. Is it's it's a display, and you know people find find them difficult and funny and all sorts of things but you are saying you know i think i'm thinking about death and, mm. and that for for really big reasons and I, I i feel very kind towards them actually you know i think it's yeah. it's not it's not as simple as a cry for help it's it's a it's a genuine expression and i think that's what i was up to at that time do you want to play a record yeah would that make you feel better yeah um what have you got lined up can you remember Yes. No. <laughs> Give me a clue. Well, I, 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 well, it's a record. I promise you, I've never heard this record before. Oh, I do know. Yes, I do. Is it Susie Sue? Well, it, yes. Assuming that's Susie and the Banshees. Yeah, <laughs> Susie and the Banshees. So that this is my visual reference. This is who I wanted to look like, and this is who I did look like. Um, because if you put on enough makeup and you back comb mm. your hair enough and you dye it black enough you don't look like yourself you can cover up an awful lot of yeah, yeah. you and Susie Sue was my heroine 
I did listen to this record a lot. And what's interesting is that it's much more rock than I am. You know mm. I don't listen to this kind of music. But the bass line is still me. You can hear Emma Rice coming through this bass line. But here she is. Banshees and I'm having to look at the screen now because it's not a record Staircase I Mystery. Staircase Mystery. So did you have it? Did you go out and but we were at our price buying Oh this? I had that album and I played it over and over and over again. Oh hanging out in the MRI's bedroom in Nottingham. Final of course then because yeah. that would have been pre CDs. And and we were very suspicious of CDs because we didn't think they'd last. Well you were a goth, of course you were suspicious of everything. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'd love to have, I'd love to have seen you that time. I've seen pictures of you with your back combed hair and absolute white makeup. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's, it's well, it's a mask. It's a full mask. And were you? What else was going? Were you working? How did you get money? Yes, I was a waitress. I was a really bad waitress. I think oh, I got better. Brilliant goth waitress. Um, yeah, I and I first started in a 
in a small sort of bistro in Nottingham and then I got a job in a club and it was called the Hippo Club in Nottingham right. and it was the first place to serve Mexican food and my biggest memory of it I mean, I loved it because I was never a great drinker, actually. Um, and it was a really great way to, to work in a club. was a great way of being in a club environment, but yeah. not having to completely live it. You could be participating. And I remember I was still underage. I was yeah, yeah. serving and working in a club at 17. Yeah. Um, but the, we served the first, we were the first people to serve Mexican food in Nottingham. And what I remember most <laughs> was that everybody sent it back. I mean, it just, <laughs> it just went out of the kitchen and then back because nobody could bear the chili. I can remember people trying to eat avocados, but eating the skin and sending it back because the skin was too tough. And it's just a really interesting thing culturally about how, how, you know, that food hadn't arrived yet. Food no, I mean, that we that's, see as... that's pretty cosmopolitan. I mean, I grew up in Felton. We, it, jacket potatoes were still a sort of crazy <laughs> idea. <laughs> well, imagine what it was like trying to serve Mexican food. <laughs> Faced with an food. avocado. <laughs> been invaded by aliens. <laughs> oh, but yeah, my mum and dad rarely saw me. You know, I, um, I, I was as slippery as a bar of soap. Uh, very happy, you know, we'd spend time with them and then I'd just sort of... I'd just shout through the door, see you later, <laughs> you know, which now, again, they, they were not neglectful parents, but it no. just wouldn't happen now. No. I just, would, I just went out from the age of 15. I went out all the time. Oh, it's amazing. And I love that you're building... I think I think the sixth form years are the best years, personally. And I, you know, I, my, I loved my sixth form, for example. But they're great because you can, especially if you leave... It's weird because we went through it with both the kids. With with, um, it's that just at the moment where you need to reinvent. There's a brilliant opportunity to reinvent yourself, which yeah. is getting out of school, yeah, and going to sixth form college. All those people that have seen you as an eleven-year-old yeah. and think they know what you are, you can yeah. go, no, I'm somebody else. You can, can completely rebrand overnight and, yeah. and walk into sixth form college as somebody else. I think it's brilliant. I'm so pleased you did that. That was we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have you now otherwise, would we? You'd have been, I don't know what you'd have done. You always wanted to go into hairdressing. I was going to say, I'd be a hairdresser. Hairdressing. Yeah. Gothic hairdressing. <laughs> Back combs, big, big jumpers. <laughs> Can't go wrong. Um, I, um, so you get you get through sixth form. I'm just moving you along now because look at the time. Strictly's on. Um, you get through sixth form. Lots of lifelong friends. Yeah. Which I know, I know, I know Janet. I mean, fantastic. And, and Dot. I mean, they're both fantastically eccentric in their own ways. But you end up, 1985, I think, according to your timeline, to 88, you'd have been at Guildhall. Yes. How did that happen? Well, I wanted to go to drama school and I got in, is the simple answer. But I'm did surprised you audition for I lots in. of them? I auditioned for three. Um... Because it's quite a big undertaking getting yeah. to London. Yeah. We didn't have to pay in those days, but we did have to get there. Um, I really wanted to go to Bristol Old Vic. <laughs> right. Um, my dad was a Bristolian and yeah. I had it in my head that something big would happen to me in Bristol. Yeah. And I decided that I'd go to Bristol Old Vic, but I didn't even get a recall. And I didn't get a recall at Lambda. And I did get a recall at the Guildhall and I did get a place. That's amazing. I know, it is amazing. I don't know why. Um, Sue Lefton, who taught me there, I think once said it was because I was wearing an excellent red dress, which I had... Um, I'd also sort of 
elaborated what's the word I'd sort of <laughs> embellished embellished yes I'd, I'd made I'd ruched it up into a sort of slightly unusual Excellent. skirt which I so maybe it was that but also I keep talking about it but Marilyn this big influence on my life yeah. she always taught me not to be boring yeah. and I as you know it's something I repeat over and over again and I don't think I was boring I think I did quite an unusual audition piece so I think maybe something Can they you saw what something you did? it was a monologue from Thornton Wilder's The Skin of Our Teeth okay. and it's when everything's going wrong um, so it's quite funny yeah. and I can remember doing it all with one very high heel and one bare foot so oh, that I was going genius. up and down the whole yeah. time but that must have been quite a journey. I mean, Nottingham Girl, although you were you were adventurous in Nottingham Girl, getting on the train to, well, presumably Guildhall's at the... Yeah, it's only ever been at the Barbican, hasn't it? Yeah, no, I don't remember any of that. I really don't. I do remember how sort of scary the Guildhall was because, and to this day, you still have to go through a sort of derelict alleyway to get there. Yeah. Um, so I sort of remember that, but I don't remember the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. But I do know that my parents didn't go with me. Right. That it was not that kind of a time in history. You know, if you're old enough to go to college, then you went to college. I know, it's amazing. It's, we've been going through it recently because, of course, Reese, our, our youngest son, has just gone to university and we're so involved and getting everything together and dorms and, and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, I remember going to... I went to Guildhall too, some some years later. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Post decimalisation, and uh, but yeah, I don't remember anybody really being involved. I think it was just me. I got on a train one day and went, and that must have been the same for you. Well, they they helped me move in when I when I moved and and would come, you know, buy me shopping and stuff once a term. So it, I, it wasn't without the support, but it wasn't that same fear or yeah. support. I would say that there was, but I didn't want it. You know, I as I say, I'd been. I, I went to the Reading Rock Festival with my boyfriend when I was 15. I, yeah. I I went from... And I do think it was linked to my sadness, which I wanted to shake off, mm. and my unhappy school days, which I wanted to burst out of. So when my life started happening, I was not going to put the brakes on. And because I was a second child... My, <laughs> I I took every opportunity. My, you know, I don't yeah. think my sister could have done the same. No. But I, I was out of there. But yeah, I went to the Guildhall um, and started started that life there, which was overwhelming. As you know, we would do yeah. very, very long days with no free periods. It was a proper education. Yeah. I mean, Guildhall leads to turn up at nine, finish at six, pretty much yeah. five days a week and then shows. Yeah. I mean, it, I always wanted it to, be, it to be a bit more like fame. <laughs> and it was a lot more serious than that. It was. It was kind of like fame. But because it's surrounded, it's such a, an amazing environment because it's got the incredibly serious opera singers who always seem about 20 years older than you do and then incredibly serious musicians who always seem much older than us. Um, and then you've got the acting students. So I was in the stage management technical theatre course who, and the acting course seems so exciting and so flamboyant. And then there's this sort of group of slightly downtrodden stage management technicians who are all great fun in their own way. And I, I had that special year, like you talked about, uh, when you were at Sixth Form, I went to, I had a great year at, at Guilds with people I still work with to this day. Um, but it is great. You, you, you kind of, if you could have joined a club at Guilds you wanted to be in the acting company. But you, what's really funny, Si, is that you're you're talking like a somebody that went on the stage management course because yeah. you're describing the world of Guildhall, which included music and opera and stage management. I was in the acting 
um, course, we only saw each other. We were only interested <laughs> in each other. I probably for- forget that there was a music school there as well. Oh my God. We, you know, yeah. but what, what you saw as being flamboyant and exciting was it was the usual sort of narcissistic, <laughs> egotistical, sort of self-obsessed group. Yeah, we, we weren't interested in anybody else. But at that point, were you... What was the career path? Was there a career path? You thought, well, I'm going to go to Guildhall and I'm going to become an actor. I'm going to be doing Juliet at, at the RSC. You know that's time. what I thought. You know that's what I thought. I think um, I think all the clues were there that it wasn't going to happen. But I did, I did think I'm going to train to be an actor and I will go to the RSC, which is what mm. I wanted most because we used to get as a child going to the Stratford was yeah. one of the most magical things we'd do. I was going to go to the RSC. I was going to play Juliet and then as I got older, play Lady Macbeth and yeah. maybe do some small bits of telly, you know, but I think that was what I was thinking was of doing. That was the life I was going to do and I definitely, um, the, the, the child in me was thinking about... Um, was was about the RSC but of course I wasn't very talented at text really I could hold my own but I wasn't talented I don't have the voice of an actor I I look back and it I was clearly unusual even then mm. I remember doing a a showing once and I did Dido's Lament Purcell and I started on all fours because I wanted her to be sort of almost sort of heaving with grief interesting that it was about grief again Mm. and I can remember starting it and everybody laughing and me sort of looking up and of course it wasn't a big open showing it was my classmates and I I can remember thinking what you what are you laughing at you know I'm (laughs) I'm having a go you know I'm trying to show something so I look back and I think I, I was already a little bit on the outside I was on the outside I, I I was I was popular at Guildhall but I never felt part of a team in the way that I was at, at Clarendon I didn't make friends like that right. I can't quite describe it apart from I, I haven't really kept in touch with anybody I think is what's most interesting is that yeah. the experience didn't stick um but we had a great time when we were there and I enjoyed everybody but I don't think the training with hindsight it wasn't the right training for me right I think I was a much I don't know why I'm having to say that I I am a much more creative person Mm. than was encouraged at that time it was great because I learned the skills I learned vocal exercises my voice was improved we worked physically I loved the physical work I loved Mm. period dance I'm doing all the Elizabethan stuff Um, we did mask work with Sue Left and I loved that and then we did plays in which you you held out for the one role that made sense that you were sort of well cast in because of course when you're at drama school everybody's the same age which means you have to do your fair share of playing some 80 year old woman or (laughs) <laughs> so I did all, I did all of that. Um, so it was a good time, but not a time that stuck. That's the only way I can describe it. And I was... I, I left that time. And it took quite a long time to find myself again. Yeah. Because I do think I had found myself at Clarendon, interestingly. I just lost it a little bit in the in the agenda of drama schools in the 1980s yeah but I think you have to go through that you, 
I don't know you have to, but you possibly had to get through that process, some formal structure, which is what Guildhall is. And it's constant. I mean, that's the thing which people probably don't realise about drama school. I don't know what drama school's like these days. But it was, well, it, it was you certainly constant. Build, you certainly build stamina and professionalism and you have skills, you know, you yeah. have some skills. So I, I don't mean to be dismissive of it. I just find it interesting looking back yeah what what you know other things touched me much more maybe that's really what it was is that um i felt obedient that's the other thing that i felt then is i just felt that i couldn't be seen i couldn't burst through myself or the course i couldn't were you wanting to did you know that do you know that about yourself that yeah. there was something else calling oh you know me i'll always be at the front of the class because if i go to the back of a class i i fall asleep or yeah. lose consciousness so I, I'm, I'm a very present person and I mm. would always be at the front but I, I never felt like I was the interesting one you know in the room I felt there were I couldn't I couldn't um, yeah I couldn't get in it was like a skipping rope that you were trying to get into but you but was there a frustration that you wanted to I can't think of the right word but be in charge being that, that you no. wanted it no, no 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 the Emma Rice, the director, did not exist at that time. But there wasn't even a hint of, I, I, I've got a better idea for this, or wouldn't it be better if this happened, or what about this, or... No, I think I, I, think I did some crazy tiny bits of what I would call devising work, <clears throat> in the, which I look back on and I think there was some clues there. But largely we were learning our lines in the parts we were cast in yeah. and trying to do them as well as possible, which <clears throat> at that time was kind of looking pretty and looking and acting seriously. Yeah. Um, and hoping that somebody noticed you and thought there's a pretty serious actress, of which I was neither of those two <laughs> things. So no wonder it didn't stick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's getting a bit tragic. I'm gonna play a record. It, it wasn't tragic. I don't want to paint Guildhall as, as being no. tragic. It was not. I had a great three years yeah. um with with great people, but it didn't stick. Wow. I I don't know how I'm not good enough at this to know how I corner into the next record. Just go for it. I'm just gonna go for it. I, largely because it's about the time period, which is um where are we? We're sort of eighty-eight. So um life's becoming the period itself is turning a little bit more fun it's a bit more um what's the word credit cards on the rise and uh aspirational upwardly mobile upwardly mobile yuppies it's that period so i thought we'd play something from that period so i'm going to play cameo's word up
Still my favourite is Cameo, Word Up, Larry Blackman's Finest. I love that record. I mean, it really, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that, is it? It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. I've had a dance. It's impossible not to dance to that. And yeah. also it's special to me, Si, because in my two years at The Globe, we had two legendary parties in the Globe and you DJ'd both of them. Oh, yeah. And you played that on both of those legendary nights. And I love watching you DJ and I can remember <laughs> dancing in the pits, seeing you and both the parties I knew I was going. So just feeling that connection through the, through the yard, knowing that you were there sending me good vibes through well, the music. I've never played a set without playing Cameo's Word Up. I mean, it's... It would be wrong, wouldn't it? Would it would be wrong, completely wrong. Uh, I love it. Um, I don't know. I sort of... The, the late 80s as a period to have been in London must have been strange. Where were you living? What, what was... Because, you know, you're 18, presumably. Yeah, I know a young 18. My, my birthday's in August, so I, I left home sort of two weeks after I was 18. In London, although England is kind of now normalised to Thatcherism and is probably steadying out there's an awful lot of poverty around still particularly in these inner cities I grew up in London so I'm sort of always felt familiar it's always felt familiar to me but where were you living what were well I started the first place I lived my dad drove me down I lived in Tottenham but it was actually the Tottenham riots so I remember um, being in my bedroom and seeing the Tottenham riots outside I didn't stay there long I then moved to Walthamstow where I shared a bed with my friend Sam Starbuck she was off on tour quite yeah. not Sam Starbuck sorry Sam Beckinsale she was off on tour quite a lot so but we actually had a one bedroom flat that we sometimes shared a bed and sometimes she was away um, and I actually got mugged then when I was 18 which was a awful moment but as you say it was very poor Walthamstow in the 80s yeah, yeah. was very poor and you um, would have been travelling to Guildhall, so... I was travelling to Guildhall. I used to take a shortcut across a sort of wasteland. So do you remember the King's Cross fire? Was that part of... Oh, sigh. Um, yes. So, yes, the King's Cross fire. I was actually... Um, it was a Friday night, and I was thinking that I might have gone home that weekend and that I might have gone to see my mum and dad and I couldn't decide and I was on the northern line and I was living at Kentish Town at that point and I thought I'm going to go home I'm going to go and see mum and dad and there was an announcement which said we're not going to stop at King's Cross because of smouldering I remember it 
so clearly because I can remember thinking what an unusual word and it also mm. was like smouldering, you know, yeah, at yeah. another person. I can remember thinking it was a little bit funny. And because I went through, I thought, well, that's telling me not to go. So I just went back to Kentish Town that night. Right. And of course, we didn't have mobile phones. No. I told my mum and dad I might come home, but I hadn't told them. And I was woken up by my landlady the next morning because my mum and dad had got in touch to check whether I'd come home that night and in fact I was one of the trains that passed through and created a vacuum which meant we accelerated the flames because as the train went through we pulled the oxygen through the tunnels and I'm haunted by that forever forever because it was so close yeah and had I been on one or two trains before that stopped I was I was there that night yeah and uh, yeah, so it was it was pretty brutal. I remember the homelessness of London at mm. that time and the scariness. I remember walking over the Charing Cross Bridge and the, there were so many homeless people would sleep on the top of Embankment Station. Yeah, yeah, I remember, yeah. Um, and, and going over um, Charing Cross Bridge to the National felt very scary. It was before it had all been mm. Jude Kelly'd into beauty and uh, and joined up it was an absolute ghost town it was scary um and by that point i was living for the 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 final point of my student years i lived on the Grays Inn road in holborn in an illegal oh it was amazing though illegal sublet it's sort of very old derelict grand flat and we eventually got sort of evicted got seen off by people that presumably sold them for thousands of pounds but it meant I really got to know London Mm. and walked everywhere just never took public transport and really got to know and strangely I was thinking about it because I think it's coming up for an anniversary but when they found the Rose Theatre which is right next door to where the Globe is (laughs) there was a big old pilgrimage and all of us lovies from that thought we'd go down and support it and I can remember walking to that area thinking that I was in the middle of nowhere because none of it had been gentrified and I just thought it was miles away I was really scared and then when I got there there was Timothy Dalton and Vanessa Redgrave and Simon (laughs) Hughes and I just stood there by myself watching for a bit but um not one bit of me thought that I might be artistic director of the Globe 30 years later but it is weird when you look back on that period because London it was derelict. That area, I remember, I, I, even when I worked at the National, which is probably 20 years ago now, but it was on a Saturday afternoon after a matinee, it was shut. You couldn't, there was nowhere to go and eat. There was no. nothing there. No. But the Guildhall was like that as well because it was in the middle of the financial district. Yeah, and there were no Starbucks and there were no coffee there was, shops. There I mean, was it nothing. was a sort of. <laughs> it was a really yeah, it was a different, it was a different world, wasn't it? And it was very, very bleak. It was a, it was a difficult time. Um, and also there was there was an awful lot of um, culture was shifting. I don't think that it would have affected you too much because it was the period of Acid House and Rave was happening. But I think you were probably Mm-mm-mm. far too busy at that point. Yeah, none of that came anywhere close to me. And I mean, that is the benefit of a, of a drama school training is that, you know, we... We weren't taking drugs and we weren't drinking much. We had no money because we were on we were on grants. Yeah. But our grants were tiny. So I do remember we used to sometimes go for half a lager on a Friday night. But there really wasn't any partying. And yeah, that that didn't happen. I would say there wasn't. Those years in Nottingham were much more sociable, much more about going out. Guildhall was about doing the work and then Mm. getting home safely or not safely and eating a cheap dinner and then getting back to, to 
college again the next day. Amazing. And lots of, I mean, the big cultural event, many big cultural events, but of course, 88 is Mandela. Oh, yes. And, and I, I'm, my memory's not good enough, my history's certainly not good enough. I think Mandela was released in 88. I think well, concert, he wasn't, he was... Was it 89? Um, he, it was before his release. It was his birthday, wasn't it? Yeah, was he it was 70? his 70th birthday. It was his 70th birthday and there was the big 70th birthday concert at yeah. Wembley, which yeah. I went to. You were there? I was there. But, oh but, uh, but to go back to that, to just link it up, when I first mm. arrived in London... My parents were brilliantly left-wing and very politicised and I'd been brought up, we'd, we'd always gone on marches and, as I say, we'd been in part of CND. So I was used to a world in which you protested for what you believed in and I can remember those weekends when I first left home and not knowing what to do with myself. Mm. And there was an anti-apartheid demonstration in London one one of those very first weekends so I'd have just been 18 I thought well I'm going to go and do that I'm going to go and and it was outside um, South Africa house in Trafalgar Square and and I went along and I was by myself and I was yeah. very young and I shouted and then everybody said we're going to do a sit-in we're going everybody sit down we're going to block Trafalgar Square and everybody sat down around me and, I, and then the police started um, shouting on megaphone saying that they were going to arrest us. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I cannot get arrested on my first, like, second weekend away from home. Please don't let me get arrested. I was so terrified. But by the time everybody had stood down, you couldn't sat down. I felt I couldn't tiptoe out of the crowd. Yeah. I was I just didn't know what to do and I remember I sat down in the street and I was like oh my god and in fact I was taken into a police van but they just drove us 100 metres down the road and yeah. tipped us out again but I can remember being like so being close to tears and wanting to be sick with stress that I'd managed to get myself arrested just because I wasn't brave enough to say I'm out you know I'm, I'm here to demonstrate but I can't break the law but, but that's you because you love to participate you, you have to participate. I do, I do. I sort of love that. That's what I love about you. You have to... If Sony plays a record, you have to dance. You have to participate. <laughs> but it does get me into trouble as it well. It does get you into trouble. I did end up in a police van when I was 18, which I don't think my mum and dad knew. Don't worry, then. No one's listening to this. So, scan forward. It was a yeah. big deal. Apartheid was a big deal. Mandela was a big, big deal. Yeah. And I was very close at college to the amazing Lenny James. Oh who I was very, very much in love with. Yeah. Um, and um, we went together to Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday party. And it was an amazing event. It, uh, I, it was amazing because I was with Lenny. Um, it was amazing because it's the one and only time I've ever been to Wembley. Mm. Um, Lenny Henry was comparing it. It was just so heady. Um there was happy birthday the amazing happy birthday mm. to you was sung but the main thing I remember is that everything was very hectic and chaotic and people were late and nobody arrived and every time there was a gap in the schedule Lenny Henry would say we've got this new act we're going to throw her on give it mm. up for Tracy Chapman and nobody had heard of Tracy Chapman until that event and she is what I remember. There were big, you'll know, Cy. Si. I yeah. don't know who played at that event. No. I don't remember. She's what I remember. And her voice and her words and her absolute acoustic rawness just cut through. And it, it, I feel like I can throw a dart from this moment 
in Somerset in 2020 and I can throw it back to that moment mm. with Lenny James at Wembley thinking about this man who'd been incarcerated caring so deeply about what was happening politically and this young woman was is the voice of that moment Last night I heard the screaming Loud voices behind the wall Another sleepless night for me It won't do no good to call the police Always come late if they come at all Last night I heard the screaming Loud voices behind the wall Another sleepless night for me It won't do no good to call the police Always come late if they come at all And when they arrive They say they can't interfere with domestic affairs Between a man and his wife And as they walk out the door The tears well up in her eyes Last night I heard the screaming Then a silence that chilled my soul Prayed that I was dreaming when I saw the ambulance in the road And the policeman said I'm here to keep the peace Will the crowd disperse? I think we all could use some sleep Last night I heard the screaming Loud voices behind the wall Another sleepless night for me It won't do no good to call the police Always come late if they come at all It's so moving and powerful I remember it, I remember it so clearly I remember I wasn't there I was watching it on the, on the telly in Felton But then Tracy Chapman would come out as you say To fill in all those gaps And there was this sort of fantastic new voice That... And I remember hearing um, Fast Car and talking about revolution and, I mean, amazing. Um, amazingly fresh and I'm very moved hearing it, very moved. It's incredible, isn't it? But it also, it's why I wanted to do today. I think, that, I mean, there's another one in this. I think we need to talk about, I think, post Guildhall and how you got to the MRIs we know now, <laughs> I think is there's still a huge journey. But everything's slowly forming the that sort of huge moral compass that you inhabit um that care of other people that you inhabit and um that excitement of participating and taking part it's all slowly coming together and it's sort of fascinating to me that no one said to you do you know what you need to be doing when you haven't gone do you know what i need to be doing yet that hasn't happened yet hasn't happened at guildhall and that's what's really sort of interesting because all the clues Forensically, the jigsaw pieces are all slowly beginning to form. It's amazing. But in fact, I was in the wilderness for yeah a good 18 months after leaving Guildhall. Yeah. And as you say, nobody saw anything in me and I didn't really see anything in me. I was just waiting for something to participate with, which, like you say, we should probably do on another day. We should definitely do another day. Oh, I'm gonna. I think we should finish there because I think we could do another hour on <laughs> yeah. what happens next. Um, and I, I actually had to write this down because I think these are really hard. They're really hard for us because we know each other. They're really tough to do. Um, 
and there's so much more I kind of want to get out of you. So we're definitely going to do another one. But I wrote this down. We were on a call yesterday. You, you remember we were on a marketing call about flying lovers. Um, and someone said, there are very few directors whose names can sell a ticket and you're one of them. And they're right. And there's a, there's a reason, I, I think. I think it's because the work's personal and it's passionate in all its many colours. And you really are a true artist through and through. You're not swayed by uh, all the things that the rest of us are swayed by, whether it's Olivier's or big transfers or huge royalty payments. That isn't, that isn't Emma Rice. Emma Rice is a pure artist. Um, and you've stayed entirely true to yourself in that. You've influenced a generation of theatre makers. We know that. And you've inspired a new generation to make work. Your work transcends theatre. There's no other director, and I know this personally because we live together, that can attract a huge selfie-seeking crowd whilst we're out shopping in Bath or having a cheeky drink in the pub up the road in Froome. And for every white middle-aged bloke having a go at you about what you've done to a bard to the bar's text we know there's a group of 50 teenagers that are all giggling and shy and embarrassed but all want their photo taken with you and for you to sign their programme and that's amazing and it's because your work talks to them it talks to such a wide community of people without feeling like work it feels like there's a there's a direct connection it doesn't feel like I'm watching a show or someone's manipulating me so that I'm going to be entertained it feels like you're communicating directly to them and that's why that's where the influence is that's why there are hordes of people that follow you around that's why um, Emma Rice does sell a ticket because there's a, a passion behind that work um, and you've always done it with care and kindness and love and that's what's amazing so Thank you, Simon. Thanks, Emma Rice. Thank you, Simon Baker. We're going to play one more record and then I promise you we have to go because A, we need to get the oven, oven on for dinner. <laughs> it's Saturday night, which means it's Strictly. <laughs> Is it my choice? It's your choice. Oh. Cool. I have to give a little bit of an intro to this. So this is Sister Sledge, We Are Family. Now, this glues together the woman sat here now with you and the young woman back in Nottingham who was showing her sadness because way back I was probably 15 or 16 and I was clubbing at the Garage Club which was the alternative club so this is where the goths the punks the flat tops went um, because we wouldn't have got into the Annabelles they were for people who wore white socks so in fact that was always that was the entry requirement is you you weren't allowed into the garage if you had white socks on and we were there once and it was sweaty and we were pogoing and we were listening to King Kurt and Spirit Destiny and suddenly these amazing tall well-dressed black guys came in sunglasses is my memory whether it's true or not it was late at night came in um, pushed us all to one side opened the doors and in walked Sister Sledge oh and they were head to toe in white leather yes. and they had p- just played Rock City and they said take us to the real Nottingham take us out for the night let us see what culture's like in Nottingham and they came in and the goths and the punks 
immediately turned into kittens. We all stopped pogoing. We all, our jaws dropped <laughs> to the floor. They were so beautiful. And they stood in a circle and we sort of stood in a circle around behind them and we all danced and they played We Are Family. And this song has travelled with me in my memory, but also in my present, because we used to sing it at the end of Brief Encounter when we played at Studio 54 in New York. Yeah. And it was also the beginning of my final Shakespeare at the Globe, Twelfth Night. And it really sums up what I feel about my life. You know, we're family. I come from a beautiful family, but I've also made my own family. And that's what theatre does. It's temporary families coming together and looking after each other.
or connection you'd like to share on Tea and Biscuits, leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846. That's 
0117 318 3846. Keep checking our social media for details of our next show. Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.